Hello, and welcome to another episode of Baker McKenzie's Beating the Competition podcast. My name is Brian Burke, and I'm a partner in the firm's Washington, D.C. office. I'm joined today by my good friend and colleague, Tisa Johnson, also from the Washington office. We've worked closely together for years on antitrust and consumer protection matters. Welcome, Tisha. Thanks, Brian, for the warm introduction and for having me here today. I'm very excited about today's discussion. Great. In today's episode, we're going to focus on the Supreme Court's recent decision to review the Federal Trade Commission's ability to seek monetary equitable damages. To be clear, that category of remedies would most notably include disgorgement and restitution, both of which the FTC has pursued and successfully obtained over the last several decades, in many cases. Just to name a few recent examples, the FTC obtained $1.2 billion equitable remedies in settlements with Teva Pharmaceuticals and Volkswagen, separate cases, and a $575 million settlement with Equifax. As these cases demonstrate, the ability to obtain equitable monetary relief is an important part of the FTC's mission. Most specifically, it's a significant, if not the primary, enforcement tool of the FTC's Consumer Protection Bureau. But now, despite the FTC's long history of obtaining this relief, its authority to do so is being questioned, and the issue is serious enough for the United States Supreme Court to grant review. Question for Tisha, what is going on here? Well, Brian, the core of the issue is the language of the statute that the FTC has historically relied upon to obtain this relief. That section is Section 13B of the FTC Act. Section 13B authorizes the FTC to enjoin conduct that violates or is about to violate any law enforced by the FTC. To be explicit, the pertinent language of the statute provides that for any person violating or about to violate a law enforced by the FTC, the FTC, and I quote, may seek and after proper proof, the court may issue a permanent injunction, end quote. Importantly, this language does not include any specific reference to equitable monetary relief, just the FTC's ability to obtain injunctions in order to stop certain conduct from happening or continuing. As you've mentioned, however, for years the FTC has used Section 13B of the FTC Act to obtain large equitable monetary remedies. The FTC did this by taking the position that 13B's language granted it the implied authority to seek monetary equitable remedies regardless of whether an injunction was sought or needed. For example, it was not material to the FTC whether a defendant's alleged wrongdoing was ongoing or had stopped long ago for its seeking monetary remedy. Nine federal courts of appeals had historically agreed with that position, consistently construing Section 13B to allow the FTC to obtain such relief. Okay, okay so, so what's changed? It sounds like there's a long history of this enforcement. What's different now? Yes, around this time last year, the Seventh Circuit and FTC versus Credit Bureau Center ruled that Section 13B does not authorize the FTC to seek equitable monetary awards. In its ruling, the Seventh Circuit acknowledged that it was departing from its fellow circuits and even from its own precedent, actually overruling its own 1989 decision on the issue. That case, captioned FTC versus Amy Travel Service, was one of the first to address the matter and a case that was relied upon by other federal circuit courts to reach the same conclusion. 
about six months prior to the Seventh Circuit's decision in Credit Bureau in December 2018 in FTC versus Capital Management LLC, Ninth Circuit Judge O'Scanlan wrote a concurrence to his own majority opinion, which was unanimous, calling on the court to hear the case on Wonk to reconsider its prior holding on Section 13b. The petition for rehearing on Wonk was denied in June 2019, but the damage was done. In the first sentence of his concurrence, Judge O'Scanlan called the circuit's interpretation of the FTC Act unfortunate and further suggested that the interpretation that had historically granted the FTC authority to obtain equitable monetary damages was no longer tenable. So just to be clear, the FTC enabling statute, which has been on the books for decades and interpreted by nearly every federal circuit court in the land to grant the FTC this authority is just now being revisited. This seems highly unusual. Put aside the issue of stare decisis or adherence to precedent, which is significant in our common law system. Statutory interpretations, to my perspective, once made, particularly by so many federal courts, generally are not revisited and changed. I mean, the statute's language didn't change, did it? No, it most certainly did not. And I agree that this is quite unusual. Okay, so why is this happening now? Well, in my view, I think that there are a few things going on. First, there has been a rise in judicial textualism. Even judges and justices who are not inclined to adhere strictly to the textualism doctrine must confront and deal with it. If you recall, Justice Elena Kagan, an Obama appointee, famously said during a lecture in 2015 that we are all textualists now. Second, there seems to be an increasing appetite in Article III courts to rein in the administrative state. Instead of deferring to implied powers of government agencies, jurists are looking more critically to the plain text of the enabling statutes to determine the proper bounds of an agency's powers. And finally, despite several federal circuit courts opining on this important issue, the Supreme Court has yet to address it. Related to this last point, I will note that during a 2017 oral argument involving a dispute about the authority of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, Justice Gorsuch expressed skepticism regarding a grant of implied equitable authority ancillary to administrative agencies' power to obtain injunctions. That case, Kokesh versus SEC, involved the question of whether the SEC's injunction authority impliedly authorized the equitable monetary remedy of disgorgement. During oral argument, Justice Gorsuch observed that the Supreme Court had never affirmed the lower court precedent granting such authority. In fact, Judge O'Scanlan relied upon the Supreme Court's decision in that case in calling on en banc review of the AMG capital case, which then led to the Seventh Circuit's ruling against the FTC and Credit Bureau. Okay, to, to interject, that creates this the circuit split, which the Supreme Court must resolve. But what's the basis for the Seventh Circuit's ruling? Good question. If we start with the Ninth Circuit's decision in AMG, Judge O'Scanlan's concurrence that he would begin and end with the statute's text and that injunction means just that, injunction. I know we've been discussing injunctions, but just as a quick refresher, an injunction is a judicial remedy whereby a party is required to do a particular thing or refrain from doing a particular thing. Judge O'Scanlan went further to state that the term injunction cannot reasonably be interpreted to authorize other forms of equitable relief, 
including monetary penalties, because Congress would have said so if it did. O'Scanlan's concurrence gives examples of statutes specifically authorizing equitable monetary relief, including ERISA, the Dodd-Frank Act, and others. He pointed out that Congress could have used a broader phrase, but instead chose to reference only injunctions. Fast forward to the Seventh Circuit case. Here, the defendants had the benefit of O'Scanlan's concurrence, and so they made 13b the focus of their argument for appealing the FTC's restitution award against defendants. Meanwhile, the FTC relied on the well-established precedent granting it the implicit authority authorizing restitution, but the Seventh Circuit panel was not convinced. It, It rejected that theory and held that an implied restitution remedy does not sit comfortably within the set the text of 13b. The Seventh Circuit further noted that there there were two other provisions in the FTC Act that expressly authorized restitution. Importantly, these provisions required the FTC to follow a detailed procedural framework to obtain this relief. Perhaps most importantly, it's much more burdensome and time-consuming for the FTC to follow this framework than it is to simply rely on its 13b authority. The panel stated that Reading an implied restitution remedy into Section 13b would render, render those other provisions largely pointless. Okay, that, that makes some sense. I can see why some would find that argument persuasive. But there's decades of counter-precedent. Companies have paid billions of dollars in equitable money damages under the FTC's 13b authority. What happens if the FTC loses? And if so, is there any chance that the parties that have paid these equitable damages previously could recover them? If the FTC loses in the Supreme Court, they would have to rely on the more burdensome and time-consuming procedure that I referenced earlier if they want to obtain equitable monetary relief. And that's Section 19 of the FTC Act. It requires the FTC to prevail in an administrative adjudication and secure a final cease and desist order before going to federal court in order to obtain the desired relief. There, the FTC would have to demonstrate to the federal court that the conduct justifies imposition of equitable monetary relief. Naturally, this is not the FTC's preferred option. The other option is for a legislative fix, meaning Congress would have to amend 13b to grant the FTC explicit authority to obtain equitable monetary relief. As for the potential for companies to recover the damages already paid, most of them were paid through settlement agreements, and it's difficult to see a situation where parties that voluntarily agreed to make those equitable payments having any success in attempt at recovery. For those that were litigated and awarded pursuant to a judicial decision, the doctrines of res judicata and collateral estoppel seemingly would be an impediment for companies seeking to relitigate decided disputes. Okay, crystal ball time. How's this getting resolved? What do you think is going to happen? Well, it's difficult to predict what will happen, but the momentum does not seem to be in the FTC's favor. In June, the Supreme Court limited the scope of equitable relief via the SEC could obtain even though the statute expressly permitted the SEC to obtain equitable relief. That's Lou versus the SEC. And it's safe to say that the FTC is outwardly concerned about the outcome of this case, so much so that it has taken numerous opportunities to request a congressional fix. In May 2019, FTC Commissioner Christine Wilson requested in congressional testimony that Congress clarify the FTC's authority under 13B, 
citing the AMG concurrence. Earlier this year, in an interview, FTC Chairman Joe Simons stated that he would encourage Congress to clarify 13b and restore the FTC's power to find violators when asked what law he would like to see passed while he serves as FTC chairman. Last month, in a prepared statement to the Senate Commerce Committee, Andrew Smith, the FTC Director of Consumer Protection, requested that Congress clarify the FTC's statutory authority to obtain complete consumer redress under Section 13b. The FTC stated that its consumer protection mission had been threatened or curtailed by recent judicial decisions, and its ability to get full redress for consumers is in peril. And finally, just a couple of days ago, on August the 5th, FTC Chairman Simons again asked for congressional help to clarify the FTC's authority under Section 13B. The chairman stated to the FTC Oversight Committee that Section 13B was the FTC's principal means of getting money back for consumers and that the FTC had returned over $10 billion to consumers in the last four years alone. He went on to urge the committee to clarify the law as recent court decisions have threatened this essential authority. Obtaining a legislative fix may not come easy, however. Very little seems able to get passed through Congress in the current climate. The outcome of this fall's election could affect both the likelihood and the speed of any fix. Indeed, it seems that there may be a difference of views between the executive branch's Solicitor General's office and the FTC, based simply on the briefs submitted to the Supreme Court in the AMG and Credit Bureau cases. And all of that is to say that it is a distinct possibility that the FTC will have to endure a period of time of unknown duration where it must travel the more burdensome path to obtain equitable monetary relief, should it lose before the Supreme Court in this case. Thanks, Tisha. It's all very interesting. We'll keep a close eye on this case. Once the Supreme Court issues its decision, perhaps we'll have you back on another episode to explain to us what it all means and how it will work in the future. Great having you on with us, Tisha. With that, we want to thank you all for listening to another episode of our Beating the Competition podcast. We hope that you have found it informative and that you will join us on our future episodes. Until next time, we wish you all good health and safety as we navigate these challenging times. Thank you.